my brothers and sisters, let us now take a moment to listen to a word from our Father. I think so appropriate for what is happening these days, found in the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John will begin in verse chapter 13 with verse 33. I'll simply tell you that this takes place at the very end of the life of Jesus. His disciples have left so much behind. It begins what is so often called by scholars a farewell discourse. Farewell discourse. The words that are said as, as a, a parting is about to take place. Some of the most profound words of all of scripture. John chapter 13 will begin with verse 33. Let us stand and hear the word of God. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me. And just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot now come. A new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I am going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Then Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? I tell you the truth. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. But do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my father's house, there are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going. So how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, uh, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. And this is the word of God. Thanks be to God. There are few things in all of life more difficult for us than loss. May I say it again? I think there are a few experiences in all of life that are more devastating for us than loss. It begins when we're children. Maybe some of us can remember that. You know, the loss of a toy leads to tears, right? Parents, grandparents, we, we've all seen it. And it continues on. 
a loss of homework, eventually the loss of keys, the loss of a job, the loss of even small things like a little trinket can, can, can be so, so difficult for us. But I'm telling you, as we gather here, when the loss that we experience is a loss of a person, it can almost overwhelm us. Uh, ask uh, a child who has lost a parent. Ask a friend who has lost another friend. Uh, ask anyone even going through a divorce. And they'll all tell you the same things. That, if I can put it, how, that love's ability to enrich our lives through a relationship is matched only by its ability to absolutely devastate us when what we love is lost. And so we gather today to think about this on this historic day here in our area where during this past week, all around us, so many people have been evacuated from their homes. So many have lost their homes. So many of our brothers and sisters, our churches have, have lost their places of worship. We gather here very, very thankful that this time, this time, the fire didn't come near our own church and perhaps near many of our homes, but most of us have been touched and all of us should have been, as we know of people, people made in the image of God, brothers and sisters in Christ who are trying to come to grips with this matter of loss. So that's why I've come back today to, to be here to just think about this. You, you can imagine I was in Vancouver, Washington, and then came back for a retreat all week. So I'm, I'm making excuses up front. This may not be a polished, slick sermon, but I'm going to share with you what is on my heart. And the text that we're going to turn to is one that has come to mean so much to me and to my, to my wife, Chris. I think the first time I really came to grips with it, though I'd read it many times before, the first time I really came to grips with it was in 1984. When I first came out here to California as a young pastor, and we lost our middle child. It was our second. Um, I was preaching through the Gospel of John at the time in the church that I was pastoring. And this text that I just read for you was the next one on the dock. It, 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 was, it was providential. And after our daughter died, uh, I began reading this, wondering if I could preach that next Sunday. And was absolutely touched, moved, and at the end of the day, strengthened by it and I pray that the same thing might happen today as we we gather here and I, I pray even we may gain some perspective to be able to offer to others in, in times of loss I want to think about loss quite broadly we will think about the loss of possessions and property and homes yes it will apply to that but you know that this loss that I'm talking about applies to, to so many things that become difficult for us because if, if you noticed as I was reading it Jesus was talking to people he cared about these were the disciples who had left so much behind to follow him. By the time we get to John chapters 12 and 13 and 14, we're coming near the end. Uh, they had left their families. They had left their homes. They had thought, wrongly thought, that when they got to Jerusalem with Jesus, uh, then everything would be good. He would get into his kingdom and then those close to him would get good positions of power. But now they were slowly beginning to see that this probably wasn't going to happen. Uh, the political leaders had absolutely rejected Jesus. And even the religious leaders had rejected Jesus. So put yourself in their shoes. Can you do that? Put yourself in their shoes. They had left homes, families, 
communities of worship, occupations. They had, they had lost prestige with the religious leaders and the political leaders. What did they have left? Well, they had Jesus. And that'll preach. J- Jesus is enough. And that, did you hear what Jesus says? I am going to. In, in some, I think the greatest understatement of the Bible, don't let your hearts be troubled. I think they were probably just about overwhelmed with the grief that they were experiencing and, and the absolute lack of understanding. This dinner that they were going to be having with him would be their last. He would be talking to them and teaching them, but haunting every word that runs all the way through the rest of this discourse would be these words, I am going, I am going. And with a tenderness almost unmatched in all the rest of Scripture, we find Jesus turning to them and saying to them, My children, I am going. And where I am going, you cannot now follow. How how do you come to grips with this? Uh, They they surely didn't understand why he was doing this at this time, and we're going to see that. And so here's what I thought I'd do. Uh, There are three people who respond Uh, to this perspective loss. I want us to look at that response because I see myself in them. I don't know if you will. I I see myself in them. And then we're going to see how Jesus responds to each one of them. It's a very similar way. And it really is fundamentally what our Christian faith is all about. I'll just tell you what it is. Bottom line, the ability to trust God, even when we don't see at all what He is doing. Even what He is doing is the very opposite of what we would want him to do. Can we learn to trust him and be at peace? All right. Response number one, Peter. Uh, Beginning with verse 36 there, uh, I called him the one who could take control. He wasn't going to be like the others, these other wimps who are overwhelmed by loss. No, in fact, he'd make sure the loss doesn't happen at all. Just look at what happens. Simon Peter, Lord, where are you going? Jesus, where I'm going, you cannot follow now, Peter. But you will follow later. No, Peter says, uh, I will lay down my life for you. I'll tell you, one of the things that, that we observe in a time where we hear that we might lose something very, very important is what I would call non-acceptance. Just know that you can do something about this to change the situation. So many times when we face the doctor, we say that we hear a diagnosis, perhaps, of of terminal cancer. And and we say, Doc, isn't there anything that I can do about that? I know I can. Uh, And especially those of, of us as Christians, we know we have this resource of prayer. And that there are many times that God steps in and heals. But there are other times, you know, where God has another plan. And, and we try to make sure that he knows that our plan is better than his. Right? So, Peter, why can't I follow you now? And then I, I, I have a better plan for you. Instead of you, because you're the leader, instead of you laying your down, life down for me and us, I'll do it. I'll lay down my life for you so that you can continue on. What do, what do you think of that? Do you realize that if Jesus had given in to Peter's plan, that Peter himself would have had no hope. I mean, looking at it from this perspective, two millennia later, we know that what Jesus was going to do 
which would be so painful in the moment, was the only thing that offered any eternal hope for Peter. And as we gather here in Pasadena in 2007, it's the only thing that offers hope to us. I mean, do you think that you would have been helped by Peter, another frail, fallen human being dying for you? No, the only hope that that Scripture offers us is that this sinless Son of God came and, and took our place because only He could and then defeated both sin and death by His resurrection. That, that now all who follow Him will be with Him later. Uh, but Peter at that time couldn't see it. And in fact, Jesus has to turn to him and do what he has to do with us so often. Peter, you need to know that what this is about is not you taking control and demanding of God what you want him to do. And I hear so much of that in the so-called Christian faith that we can sort of take control of God if we believe hard enough he has to do what we tell him to do. And I'm simply telling you that is not the Christian faith. Christian faith is me giving my life to him. Yes, as, our, as his children, we can come and ask, but we do not become his Lord. And so Jesus has to confront him with this. Peter, can't you almost imagine the, the loving and yet firm word of Jesus? Peter, will you really lay down your life for me? Peter, I have to tell you the truth. Before the rooster crows, you're going to disown me three times. And so this brave disciple is faced with this irony that in, in just a few hours, he, he would deny the very Lord that he says he's going to defend. This one who's trying to pretend that he's not one who needs what Jesus is going to do is going to find out that he is utterly dependent upon someone else to help and forgive him. And the point that Peter was going to have to, to learn if he was going to be used by God and that he would, would learn was that until we acknowledge that we are weak and in those moments often of loss absolutely dependent upon God and that we will trust him, we will never see the power of God both in and through him. Our ability to be used by God is built upon this, this self-knowledge that we need him so desperately. And that when he goes in a direction that you and I cannot understand, that we will say your way and not mine. Uh, The call to Peter comes in verse 1. Peter, here's what you need to do. I'm not looking for, and God is not looking for people who are absolutely perfect. Because none of us would be in, right? Nor is he, God, looking for that sort of frenetic and frantic activism that takes over every situation and does something better than God could do. No, what God is looking for is people who will trust him. Peter, don't let your heart be troubled. Here's what you have to do right now. Trust in God. Trust me. What do you think of that? Well, let's move on to the second. Maybe he has more to say. (laughs) Response number two. I didn't know what else to call him. I called him Thomas. I called him the angry agnostic. Though I think that's more negative than I want to be. But I didn't have time to come up with a better title for him. Agnostic. Simply one who says, I don't know. And it does seem that that Thomas becomes kind of angry. But I think that Thomas often gets a a bad rap. Uh, 
all right, churchgoers, when you hear the word Thomas, Bible Thomas, uh, what's the first thing that comes to mind? Ah, there you go. I knew you were church type people. There's that weak doubter. He, he never believes anything. But I don't feel nearly as negative about Thomas. But, but look, verse 4. Jesus said, you know the way to the place where I'm going. But Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. <laughs> we don't even know that. So how can you possibly say we know the way to get that, that way? Now, I'll tell you how I read Thomas. It may be wrong, but it's just the way I, I read him as the person who simply says what everybody else is thinking. He just says, everybody else was thinking this, but he's the only one who has the courage to do it. I know he's always branded as the doubter because of his skepticism, but, but I wonder if he was really like that. I, I read him as, as a bold person. You, you know I lived in northern Germany for, for four and a half, five years. He reminds me of so many of those northern Germans. I've, I'm sorry for all the German background people who are here. <laughs> but I love them because they always told me what was on their mind. I never knew they had some strategy they were trying. They always told me what was on their mind. And that's the way I see Thomas here. You know right where he stands. He's not going to feign that he understands all of this that Jesus is talking about when he doesn't understand. He's not going to put a fake smile on and nod as Jesus is speaking when he doesn't agree with it. He's simply going to say what he thinks. Look, you say we know the way to where you're going, but I'm going to tell you the truth. We don't know even where you're going. Where, where are you headed? Now, with all this defense of Thomas, I do want to tell you he's wrong. He is wrong. Um, because Jesus has repeatedly told Thomas and the disciples where he's going. And he's told them the way to get there. He's told them that he is going through death to the Father. And that their way was not his way to die for others, as Peter wanted to do. Their way would be him. Trust in me. Believe in me. And you will come to the Father. I, I do think that almost the worst part of Thomas's emotional response, and once again, I, I just want you to know, I, I think I, I see it this way because I feel it in myself so much at times, is his, his, his way of blaming Jesus here. You didn't teach us well enough. If you had taught us better, I wouldn't be going through such a tough time right now. It's your fault. I was talking about this in a, a businessman's group once, and one businessman said the most difficult employees he had to work with were always those who blamed him for their lack of productivity. If you gave me a better assistant, a, a better car, better direction, it's all your fault that I'm not doing well. Well, Thomas seems to have begun to fall into that kind of thing. Jesus, it's your fault that we're struggling right now. Now, how does Jesus? Here's what I want, want us to look at. All right. When we feel like this, when, when we become angry and we just say, I don't know, even though we should know better, how does Jesus deal with this? That, that's the part I want us to see. When we become angry or, or depressed or ready to blame, does God say, that's a person I'm going to have nothing else to do with? I am so gripped by what I see. Briefly, unmistakably, Jesus gives this clear response. Verse 6, one of the great verses in the Bible. Thomas I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
Yes, no one on his own or in any other way can come to the Father. But through me, you can come to the Father. These are great words, don't you think? But ironic words. Uh, I am the way. By one whose own way would be this path of suffering and that shameful cross between two criminals. Uh, I am the truth. By one who would be put on that cross by lying witnesses and whose own words were not being believed by his own family and friends. I am the life by the very person whose corpse would soon be in a tomb where people would think it's all over. And yet eventually we would see resurrection. The thing I love is that Jesus does not cast Thomas off. gives me hope. <laughs> right? And I wanted to give you hope. That, that in those times when our responses to loss are not all that an, uh, a faith-filled, mature person should be. God has open arms ready both to teach us, sometimes to correct us, but always to welcome us. And I want to point out something I think I've tried to say before, but you'll probably, probably hear me say it a thousand times. Um, when you enter into a Christian faith, uh, maybe the most beautiful part of that is that you begin to have a real relationship with God, the maker of heaven and earth. And real, meaningful relationships are always open and honest, right? And that's why when I see the greatest, the closest followers of God throughout the Old Testament and New Testament, they always were willing to share their whole lives. Now read through the Psalms if you don't believe me. <laughs> Where are you in all of this? They cry out. Get those enemies. Some people are troubled by some of it. But to me, it is simply an honest human relationship to God where we still walk by faith, not yet by sight. And that's why Thomas is not cast off. But taught and eventually welcomed and used again. As a brother told me last night, you, you realize probably Thomas is the one who went the farthest distance to carry this gospel. I think the evidence is pretty clear that he carried it all the way to India. There's, there's still a church there, the Martoma Church, that has roots at least as far back as the third century and probably all the way back to Thomas. This, this angry agnostic finds hope and usefulness by this Lord, but to do it. He had to learn to trust him, right? To trust him. All right. Response three, Philip. I've called him <clears throat> Philip the experience seeker. Uh, look, at, look at verse eight. Philip said, Lord, just show us the father. That'll be enough for us. Of course, Philip had a much better idea to offer Jesus too. And I'm just thinking, if you had the opportunity... Uh, to choose either Jesus' way or what Philip is offering, which one would you choose? All right, Jesus says, okay, cross and death or huge miracle, supernatural evidence on a Sunday morning. Which one would you rather uh, have? I think most of us would opt for Philip, right? That, that just sounds all, this death stuff, we like a lot of the ways that you teach. That's good. But this death, we don't like that because if we get too close and follow someone too closely who is going to die, you know what could happen to us. Let's come up with a better idea. Why don't you just do a great miracle? And in this, do you think that we have many Phillips all around us? 
I just, do you see any of Philip? Look in the mirror. Do you see any of Philip in yourself? God seems to be leading you down a path that you just don't understand. It just makes no sense. And you feel like real faith would mean that you could, make a, you could change that. God, just do, a, do some big supernatural miracle. Change all of that right now. Which one would you opt for? Sometimes he does that miracle. Never hear me say otherwise. And Thomas had seen many of them. But in this case, Jesus had something much bigger to do than simply a sign. Read through the Gospels. Thomas had seen so many signs. But let me tell you, a sign is just that. A sign. I'm looking at this exit sign over here. A sign points to something bigger than itself. You know that, right? I mean, if, if there were a fire in our sanctuary, you wouldn't just try to jump up there to the sign, right? You would want to go where that sign is pointing. It's pointing to a way to get out. And so all of these signs where Jesus did these powerful, miraculous things weren't to point to themselves, but to point to him and who he was and to call people to trust him. But, but the nature of things in this world is we really like the signs often more than we love Jesus. And if we become obsessed by signs, once we've had one, we want to have a bigger one. Oh, that one we had last Sunday, that was good. But boy, we need something bigger. I'm going to go some other place where we can have a bigger sign. And here Jesus is getting us to the heart of the faith. That all these signs point out that God is. But, but if we start becoming obsessed with those signs, we will not be followers of Jesus. We will be like Philip, this experience seeker. I think if I were Jesus at this time, I'd become frustrated. Philip, you're crazy. You know that God is holy and that you are not. You're not ready to see God. You want me to just show you God? If the Father right now appeared before you, you as an unholy person would have no hope. You need me to do for you what I am going to do. To provide forgiveness for your sins so that you can stand before God. Philip, trust me. And let me tell you something if you haven't seen it. If you have seen me, you have seen God. See, the call again is to trust Jesus. Uh, to Peter, you don't have to do it for me. Trust God, trust me. Uh, to Thomas, your way is me. I am your way. You've got to trust me. To Philip, if you need to see God, I am the one who will show you God. In each one of those situations... The call is simply to trust God when things are happening, when there is loss that takes place that we cannot understand. And this is what I saw that evening after our uh, second child, Brittany Ann, uh, died. I'll tell you a little bit about it. Some of you have heard me talk about it. Um, I had just finished my doctoral work. So I, I think I had the arrogance that's always resident in that. I look over at John Sutton. He soon will be finishing his. We have to be careful in these days, John. I had preached sermons about suffering. I had written papers on what is called theodicy. Namely, where is God when all these difficulties are happening? So I thought I had a lot of profound things. These, some of these were long papers. And so now, personally, this hits us. Um, 
we had just taken, I'd taken my first church up in Arroyo Grande, such a beautiful area. Uh, the church there, and I think anyone who was there, I don't want to speak out of school, but was going through some really tough times. And now they brought in this young pastor who was so green and didn't know a whole lot. And with uh, his uh, beautiful pregnant wife, and in August, uh, our second child was born. But when she was born, the, um, somehow the oxygen to her brain had been, um, had been restricted at least. And when she was born, only the lower stem of her brain was functioning. So she could gasp and she could swallow, but that was about it. Immediately when she was born, they knew she was in distress. So uh, the doctors came right there to the hospital. You know, there, were, there were no neonatal units there on the Central Coast. Put her in a, a helicopter and flew her to Fresno. I mean, Chris and I often would say the hardest part at that point was we hadn't even been able to, to hold her. But then we drove across that area. And any of you who've driven that, you know that's a tough drive. And it was made tougher by the experience of that day to, to be at the neonatal unit in Fresno, uh, California. It was a roller coaster period of time. Uh, we had a number of times when the uh, doctors would say, uh, she's not going to make it. Do you want us to keep her alive mechanically? And we made the decision, no. It's, those are those hard decisions, aren't they? And they said she won't make it, so they put us in this room. I remember them pulling the curtain across, and we were holding her. But instead of her dying, she grew stronger. She, she grew stronger. And so through this roller coaster, is she going to die? Is she going to live? Finally, they, they thought she was at the point when she would be able to be taken home the next day. So we were there. I remember I was trying to learn. I'm not very good with my hands, trying to learn this difficult tube feeding. And uh, that evening, as we were getting ready the next day to take her home, I was holding her. And suddenly I, I turned to Chris and I said, she's no longer gasping. I think she's at peace. But what had happened was that I still feel the emotion of this 20 years. Um, she had she had passed away. So there's that experience of loss. Um, that evening, I couldn't sleep. So I, I came to this text. I said, well, I don't know if I can preach, but I'm going to look at the start preparing this sermon. And I kept looking at all of these things and each one of them just simply saying, you have to learn to trust God. You'll have to learn to trust God. I, I remember at the end of that, I slammed the Bible shut. And I said, that's it. Like a. A child is told to trust its parent. Here, I, me as a doctor of theology, I mean, it's just learned to trust, just learned to trust me. And, and I just sensed the word saying, the spirit saying, that's it. I mean, how do we enter into a relationship? Let's think about our Christian faith. How do you enter into a relationship with God? It's by faith, isn't it? We, by faith, we give our sins to him. And there he takes them. Unbelievable. Thank you. It's always good to have a servant. And then I have seen, and many people have tried to, to communicate, that there's that one time when we first trust Jesus. That that, that, is, that is the act of faith that is really the last one of those. The rest of it's going to be easy. But here's what I want to tell you, and listen carefully. That even though I do think we have to have that point, and maybe some of you haven't been there, where we say, here's my life. I want to be a follower of Jesus, where eternal life begins. Or as Jesus would put it, we are born in a new way. It starts there. I'm telling you, in this world, as we live by faith and not by sight, and as these times of loss hit us and others, there are many acts of faith. Many times when we will gather in this place, and you and I will wrestle with, do I trust the one that I say is my Lord?
That evening as I thought about it, I thought what I need to engage in here is a conscious and intentional act of faith. Just like when I first became a believer, a conscious and intentional act of faith. And I remember in that prayer saying, Father, I can make no sense out of an infant dying. And if you ask me now to make sense out of it to you, I still don't see my way through to that. I have no pat answers. But, Father, in spite of that, you see more than I do. My life is yours. You've shown me again and again that you are worthy of trust. I will trust you. And I can only tell you, you have to see the credibility of your pastor or not, but it made all the difference in the world. It made all the difference in the world. And, and I call us in times of loss. Sometimes we need to gather in this place so that in the midst of it all, we, we focus our eyes and worship upon the Lord, lift our eyes to Him when we can't do it on our own and come together with His people in community and say, Father, do I trust You or not? And learn to trust Him afresh and anew. And then be able to go out and carry this message that the only unshakable fully trustworthy one in this world is the maker of heaven and earth. Now I'll tell you, he, at the end of the day, gives us resources that enable us to trust him. I'll just cite three of them. You can read the scripture to see what they are. But in chapter 14, verses 15 and following, Jesus was leaving, but he wasn't going to leave them alone. He says, I'm going to leave you somebody else. I'm going to give you a paraclete, a comforter, someone to come alongside the Spirit of God. In fact, he'd even say this startling thing. It's going to be better for you that I leave so that he can come. Uh, The whole point is when the Spirit of God is here, he wasn't restricted in the way that Jesus, uh, taking on human flesh, was restricted. The Spirit of God can be in and among us all because he doesn't have those space and time restrictions that Jesus had accepted in his incarnation. So in one sense, we have the presence of God in us and among us through his spirit. We're not alone. A second resource Jesus points them to is in verses 25 to 27. The guidance of God through his word. He said the same spirit to these 12 disciples will remind you of all those things I've done and taught. Those things that have been put into this word and passed on to us. So we also have the guidance from God through his word to help us in these days. And that's why we gather and open it, right? And then third, and I want you to make note of this one because this may be what you have to offer to the others during these days. We have the people of God to love and support when we don't know what God is doing. Uh, Do you remember Jesus started the whole discussion this way? Now I am going, but I'm going to give you a new command. Here it is. Love one another. You must love one another, he said. It's going to be hard in these times, in this world. It's going to be hard. You must love one another. You have to learn to stand together in times of loss. And in this, it it becomes quite clear to me that with the Spirit of God in our hearts and the Word of God to instruct and to guide us and the people of God, sometimes to give us the touch, the compassionate touch of God, the love of God, that we'll be able to be sustained in difficult times. 
And uh, my call to us as a church family that largely has been personally untouched by the losses of the fires is that we have opportunity to show the love of God's people to others who are hurting. Uh, read 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. That's what God's people do. The people in Corinth had stopped doing it. <laughs> They'd stopped giving for those hurting brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. And, 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 and Paul shames them into doing it. <laughs> because it's just the nature of our faith that when we see others who are hurting, it is not just their problem, it is also ours. Because they're a part of the human family first, and then even more specifically for many, a part of our spiritual, eternal family. The love of God's people. I'm about done. But let me just tell you, why should we trust God? Because it's worth it. Do you have your Bible again? I just uh, show you some very famous verses, but uh, they're just so encouraging. Uh, You trust also in me. Let me tell you something. This was specifically to Peter, though it was to all um, who thought that he had to be the the super Christian so that he'd get a good place in heaven. Probably in my father's house, there are many rooms. All right, long, long time church goers. In, in, in the older version, there are many uh, mansions. That sounded good. It kind of made us feel like all of us, if we'll just kind of hang in there, the, the really good ones are going to get so, sort of an estate on, along the ocean in La Jolla. Uh, <laughs> this is really, I'll just, this is a better translation. In my father's house, there's a lot of room there. It's not just for the really good ones. No. Heaven, he's saying to Peter, it is not like a school where only those who make the best scores on the graduate record exams get into the best schools. Uh, That's not the way it is. It's not like a concert or a sporting event where only the rich people get the best seats. What is heaven? He says, heaven is the family house. It's home. And I just want to tell you, on our father's behalf, there's plenty of room there. And what I have to do is go so that you can come. Now, if, if I really knew that there wouldn't be enough room for you, don't you think I would have told you? No, I am going to prepare a place for you. And in essence, this is the message. You can't quite understand yet fully what I am doing or why I'm doing it. But I know. And trust me. For I am doing it for you. And what I'm doing, though you don't see it, is working for your good. Trust me. For what is eternal and what really matters can never be lost when our faith is in Christ. And so I'm going to leave you with that great verse where the Apostle Paul takes this text and applies it to his and all of our lives. He was convinced of something. Rejoice. Listen to it. I am convinced. I'm absolutely convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor demons, anything in the present nor the future nor any powers. I almost feel I'm saying, is there anything else? Nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us From the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. This is what we have to hold on to. And this is what we have to offer. 
to this world in times of loss. May we have the courage to do so to his glory. Amen. Amen. We will be having some music that is played for us now. And as we do, I'd just like you to take a few moments now to pray about any matter that may be upon your heart. These moments that we don't have so often where we can stop and and allow ourselves to hear the voice of God, helping us to know how this his word might be applied to our lives during these days. And then I'll come back.